my early beginnings, I couldn't afford to go to college. I felt like I was starting behind everybody else that did. And so I said, I'll just educate myself. I'll get street smart and, and, and outdo these guys. Be able to get myself in the living room with these property owners that own the higher value assets. I had to create the image, the track record, uh, and the skill sets to be able to represent clients of that stature. And so that took time to build that business in that marketplace. And so once I got one, and you get one under your belt, and then you get the other, and the other, we had, like I said, we had a sale at 17 million, 16 million, 12 million, uh, all last year, uh, which represented the three highest sales in our, in our market. Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent and welcome to Success Calls. This month's top agent is Ed Kaminsky with Strand Hill Christie's International Real Estate in Hermosa Beach, California. Last year he closed 83 transactions with a total sales volume of $180 million. His average sales price was $2.1 million, of which 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. He has a 12-member team. Welcome to the call, Ed. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, Ed, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Absolutely. Um, well, my first job out of uh, high school really was getting into the jewelry business. So I, was, uh, I went to a gemological institute, studied gems and diamonds, uh, and went into retail sales and uh, retail management. Well, how long were you doing that? Uh, I was about seven years I was in that business. Did you learn sales skills while you were doing that? You know, I did. I think one of the first days uh, I started with that company, um, I had an interesting manager. He said, are you willing to do whatever it takes to make a sale, Ed? And that was like my first question on the, on the job. And, you know, he kind of instilled in us um, com that competitive nature you have to have on the sales floor. Uh, and then he also brought in um, some outside speakers like uh, God, who was that? He, he trained us in sales, but he was in real estate. It was Tommy Hopkins. Was probably one of the first guys I ever listened to 30 some years ago almost 40 years ago I can't believe it yeah <laughs> that's great so you had a little bit of exposure to real estate at that point why why did you transfer from that into real estate well you know um, I grew up uh, in Cleveland Ohio didn't make a lot of money uh, you know I don't know if I'd say I was poor but certainly lower middle class and it was always my belief and my dream that I would have more than the experience I had growing up. And that was important to me. And so when I'd go home at night, you know, the jewelry business, it closed at 9 p.m. I'd get home around 10 p.m. and turn on late night television. And back then when you're flipping through the channels, you'd find these real estate gurus making a lot of money on TV. And I said, well, damn, if they could do it, I could do it. So I went and got a real estate license. I wasn't sure what to do with it, uh, but when I got it in the mail, 
I thought, well, and I just put it on my desk. And the next thing I know, I started getting job offers for real estate companies. I didn't even apply for a job. And I thought, well, this is strange. So I went on some interviews just to see what it was about. And they quickly explained they would all give me a job if I write them a check. And <laughs> I started learning this is really about buying a business and building a business. And that was really my first introduction to the real estate business. Did you start part-time or full-time when you got into real estate? You know, uh, when I started in the business, again, I was working in retail. So I was not really mentally or financially prepared to jump in with both feet. I wanted to understand that business. So the way my career started was if I was working in the jewelry store from nine to five, I would take a quick dinner break and I would go to the real estate office and work from 6 to 9 p.m. Because I believe that the day ends at 9 o'clock like retail stores do. That's just, I was trained at 18 years old. That's what the working hours are. So it was easy for me to just go back to work at 6 o'clock. So I worked from 6 to 9, literally just cold calling for three hours and then going home. And then if I had to work the 1 to 9 shift in the jewelry business, I would door knock from 9 to noon. I did that for about the first five and a half months in the business until I got my first deal. That first deal was in 1987 in December that closed. And I remember seeing that commission check for $3,000 for the real estate. And then I saw one for 3000 on my jewelry side. I had six grand and I said, you know what? I've made it. And that's when I put it in and jumped in with both feet. I quit my job in the jewelry business and went full-time in 1988. And that was, to, to answer your question, yes, started part-time for six months, and then I went in full-time thereafter. Now that, that first full year, 1988, was it, did it work well? Did you sell a lot of homes? What, did you struggle? What happened there? Uh, it worked well from my perspective. I, I worked the same habits that I did in the retail business of just getting in there early and working all day. So I, my, my focus then was to outwork everybody uh, and get some deals done. I started out uh, being trained that if I just got two listings a month and one sale a month, I was on the right track. And my first year I did 17 sales, which I would at that time consider successful uh, and gave me enough confidence to say, hey, I made the right decision. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. You mentioned that at the very beginning when you were part-time that you already were establishing the habit of prospecting. You were calling in the evenings or door knocking in the mornings. How did you know to do that? Um, <laughs> I'll tell you how I knew. It was one of the first days on the job. Uh, in the retail jewelry business, when you're running a store or a salesperson, your job is to sell the person that's standing in front of you something. And they were always there. They 
it would just flow into your store and you sell them something. So I thought that's how it worked in, in uh, real estate. So I showed up at the real estate office and I sat down and I was waiting for customers to walk in so I could sell them something. And I was like, literally, I for waiting for like three days. And then the manager walked up to me and said, what are you doing? So I'm waiting, <laughs> waiting for what? I said, I'm waiting, waiting for a customer. Well, they're not here. You need to go find them. <laughs> so he quickly educated me to go out and go find your own business. And he said, try door knocking. And I asked where, and he said, just pick a neighborhood. And, and I went out and I'll never forget the first door I knocked on. They answered the door. I said, do you want to sell your house? And they said, yes. I said, okay. And I drove back to the office. And he goes, what are you doing back so fast? And I told you to knock the whole neighborhood. I said, well, the, he said he wanted to sell his house. I'm going to work on this. And he says, Ed, no, you're supposed to stay out there and knock all of the doors. And, of course, he was right again because I worked on that deal for at least a month, and he never listed, he never sold, and it was a lesson learned day one. <laughs> <laughs> Although initially I assume you thought, boy, this is going to be easy. I just knocked yeah, out a door and there's people. That's right. <laughs> Ready really to sell easy. their home. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, very nice. So let's let's move forward through time. Let's bring us up to today. Now, how long have you been in real estate? Uh, now, thirty-two years. Thirty-two years. So it's been a, it's been a long haul. It must have been a good one. Let's talk about uh, some of your stats so people get a quick background on you. Uh, how many homes did you sell last year, and what was the sales volume? So uh, last year we sold um, somewhere between eighty and ninety sales. I think it was recorded at eighty-three. I'm not sure. Uh, it was close to 200 million in volume, uh, you know, which puts you around four million dollars in commissions. Wow, uh, that's fantastic! What a, what a switch from that first three thousand dollar check. Yeah, we've grown a little bit. <laughs> grown quite a bit. Uh, and how about your your best year? What was your best year production wise? What year was it? How many transactions, sales volume, GCI, that kind of thing? You know, two years ago we did uh, we did over 130 sales. Um, and, but I think my gross close commissions were higher with 80 sales because I've been moving my average price volume up uh, pretty aggressively more recently. So uh, I want to come back to that, moving your price up, but let's wrap up this section real quick. Over your career, do you have any idea how many transactions you've done or what type of volume you've done? Um, yeah, I, it's somewhere between one and two billion dollars in sales, uh, probably around one and a half now. And then total volume is uh, got to be around 2,500 in sales, 2,500 homes. That's amazing. And I asked you to estimate your GCI. Do you recall what that number was for your career? I, you know, I, I don't recall. I think I, I may have wrote it down um, in some notes somewhere. Um, 30 to $40 million. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I just want people to get that idea that over a long haul, you can do really well. And uh, that's pretty exciting. And congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, let's talk about something you just brought up. Uh, you said you've been moving up your average sales price. How are you, have you been doing that uh, intentionally or has that just been happening because the market's been moving up? And if you've done it intentionally, what did you do? So my business growth has always been intentional. And I will tell you, from, from the day I started, uh, I have these moments in my career where I make a shift. 
And the shift usually comes from, you know, events I go to. You know, I'll go to a Mike Ferry seminar and I'm sitting in that room and I'll sit next to somebody who just said they just did 2,000 deals uh, on Tuesday or whatever, some crazy thing. I'm like, what? You know, and you, you get inspired and you learn something. And I, I've been a, a habitual um, person looking for knowledge, right? I'm, I'm constantly feeding my mind with books and audibles and, and events and seminars and mastermind groups and, and learning from others. I just feed on that. And I think partially that's because of my early beginnings. I couldn't afford to go to college. I felt like I was starting behind everybody else that did. And so I said, I'll just educate myself. I'll get street smart and, and, and outdo these guys. And so it's, that habit continues today. So these moments have happened in my career, and I'll give you a couple of them. Uh, because moving up the price was intentional, but I, I didn't learn that until a certain point in my career. But the first point in my career that I learned was, or was committed to, was I wanted to sell 50 houses in a year. I didn't care how much they were. I didn't care if they were a dollar or a million dollars. I just wanted to know how to do 50 deals in one year. Can I get to that volume? Can I manage it well? And then can I repeat it? So when I did that, I did that in a very low price neighborhood at the time, which was between $150,000 and $200,000. It was a little bit, we'll call it inner city. Uh, it wasn't where my office was. My office was coastal, which was more expensive. I didn't have the confidence. You know, I was, I was newer. I was shy. Uh, I wanted to build the confidence. So dealing with people I felt would respect me. Uh, was where I moved to. And so working in the lower end made sense to me at that time. Um, had I had that same mindset and worked in the high end early, who knows where I'd be today. Uh, but that was my first decision, 50 deals in one year. Then I said, oh my God, I'm not selling any homes in my market where my office is, which was way more expensive. And I basically said, God damn it, I'm not gonna take it anymore. And I said, I'm going to sell homes in my market. Made that shift. And I said, I'm, I stopped. So the first thing I did was I stopped calling expired listings under a certain price point. Uh, I stopped doing open houses in those markets where those lower prices were. And I started hunting for a little bit closer to where my office was for clients. So I switched my cold calling to there my door knocking to there, my marketing to there, everything. Over years now, I've shifted that closer and closer to the water. As in our market, the closer you are to water, the more expensive it is. So I've just adjusted that marketing to the closer beachfront properties. That's, that's been the major shift. And so in this last year, when you wanted to increase the price even further, did you move right up to the beach? Yeah. Uh, I, last year, I represented, I think, three of the four highest sales in our marketplace. So I went right after the, the, the top end. Uh, and it didn't happen just last year, but, but it was the culmination of, of events over the last five years that has allowed me to be able to get myself in the living room with these property owners that own the higher value assets. I had to create the image, the track record, uh, and the skill sets 
to be able to represent clients of that stature. And so that took time to build that business in that marketplace. And so once I got one, then you get one under your belt, and then you get the other, and the other. We had, like I said, we had a sale at 17 million, 16 million, 12 million uh, all last year, uh, which represented the three highest sales in our, in our market. When you're selling a home at that level, uh, are you doing a lot of extra work that, based on what you were doing, say, early in your career when you were selling an inexpensive home? It is completely different. Um, I'd like to say it's all the same no matter what price it is, but it's not true. Um, the, the requirements that are re, you know, expected from a seller at that level, uh, they expect you to know the inside scoop of everything going on in the marketplace, every sale going on, every buyer walking around, who's got that money, who's spending it, and how do you reach them. Um, they want updated and they want smart answers. Uh, you can't just get away, well, the market's a little slow today. You have to have specific answers. What's going on with the economy? What's going on with the global market? What's going on with the political market? All these thing, things that affect movement of money in that level. Uh, so you have to have more communication. You have to have more intelligent communication. You have to have marketing prowess and know how to reach those buyers that are gonna spend in that price range. And you've mentioned several times working in this very high-end, uh, ultra-luxury uh, market that you have to have this market knowledge, this unique market knowledge, know where the buyers are. You mentioned that a couple times. What does that mean? How do you find out where the buyers are in this ultra-high-end market? Um, you know, you have to, you have to really dive in, and I, for me, it's, it's being overcommitted to gaining this information and knowledge, and it takes time to do that. So it's talking to every broker in town, and what listings are they working on, what buyers do they have, and then being able to remember that. Uh, what sales just took place and who bought it? You know, it was Dr. and Mrs. Smith, um, and why did they buy it? You know, where did they come from? Were they moving in from out of the area? You know, you have to be thirsty for that information and then retain it. Uh, so when you have the knowledge of where this money is moving from, from actual transactions, you can speak intelligently about it with your own client base. So it's staying tight with the brokerage community and getting that information and paying attention to it. And then being able to recall it when you need to, when you're with clients. It sounds like you've developed a passion for the higher end. Uh, you're, you're in it so deep. It's like somebody who loves sports and they love baseball and they know all the stats of all the players. It sounds like that's the level that you've had to move to so that you can operate in this market. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know how you can operate in that air, area or arena if you don't have that knowledge because uh, these clients expect that information, they want it, and they're all going to talk to two or three or four people. Everybody knows 10 brokers, you know, three of them may be well qualified to handle it. And then of those three that you're competing with, um, you have to be able to stand out. And it's going to be based on their belief, your track record, and your knowledge base. And that's what they're looking at. How are you networking with the other brokers that are working in this high end? Are you 
Uh, do you all have a mastermind meeting that you come to? Do you just bump into one another on the street? How is that happening? Um, you know, it's pretty purposeful. You, you know, from day one when I got involved in the real estate business, you're either in a buyer's market or a seller's market. You're, you're rarely in this like middle of the road market. Um, and I learned pretty early that as the market was shifting down in the beginning of my career, I was like, wow, I need these agents to sell my listings. They're not easy to sell. So I said, I've got to be nice to these agents. Uh, and then the market shifted and it became a, a seller's market. And I said, oh shit, I got to get my offers accepted. I need to be nice to these agents. Um, and so I've remained professional with them. You know, it's, it's real, right? You have to be real with these people, meaning professional, give them information that might be helpful for them, help them out on a deal if you can. So you have to establish that base first. Then if you're running into them on the streets, you can have a conversation. You can pull information from them. They will share information with you. Other things are purposeful. We've, we've created uh, um, continual get-togethers from multiple groups of competing brokers that we meet with each week. And, and you know, I have several of these. Uh, I have three specific ones I do every single week. Uh, one is a mixture of competing brokers from different companies, and we share our client base knowledge, whether we have a good buyer or a good seller that's off market, and we're trying to match up our opportunities. I have one that is just within our brokerage itself. Uh, we, you know, at Strand Hill, we have uh, what we feel are the best brokers in the marketplace. So we share that intimate knowledge uh, amongst ourselves and that group. And then I have one that reaches outside my marketplace that we meet with um, once a week at 6.30 in the morning by phone to share market knowledge and other skill sets that we all possess in different marketplaces and how to utilize it within our own business. Wow. So these are, these are lead groups. These are uh, connecting groups. Uh, you have the right in your office, you have your city, and then you have regional uh, how did you establish these relationships? Did you create these groups? Did someone else create the groups? Or somebody listening want to join one of these groups? How would they go about it? Um, I started the first one back when the market started shifting down and I was starting to get full of inventory that wasn't selling. And so I said, how do I find the buyers that are in the marketplace better than just counting on the MLS? So I basically called what I thought were the top 25 agents in the market and asked that they'd like to meet once a week. Um, and then you'll find within those groups, information that you don't want to leave the group will leave the group. So we ask those people to leave the group. So you have some that aren't showing up and so we ask them to leave the group. And so it gets grouped down to a group of people that are trusted, that protect that information for the, for the group, uh, that you can trust. And so it, it takes time to create the right group, but that's, that's how we did it. How many people uh, are in the group now? Uh, right now, they're, so our competitive broker group is running between 12 and 15 people. Our Strand Hill group is, is large. You know, we're closer to 70 people, um, but that's, that's like a brotherhood because we're all in the same brokerage. 
How about the regional group? How big is that one? The larger uh, group? It's 12 people. The, How many? The, the, my, that's really my mastermind group, and that's 12 people. 12 people. Okay. Yeah. And that's the one that goes nationally or regionally beyond your, your city? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, very nice. I, I want to go back for a minute in your journey. Uh, you said that initially you were working the, the low end and that you wanted to start moving closer to your office. How long had you been selling in, I think you said, the inner city or the lower end before you felt enough confidence to start selling more expensive homes? Um, so, 88, I started. Uh, you know, quick side trip. Um, I started in the business uh, and the first thing you learn about real estate when you get in real estate is you should buy some. So <laughs> I started buying really, really early. And of course I was new and, you know, not bruised yet. And so I bought and they, they had these special loans where you didn't need any money down. Um, and I just thought that real estate just simply appreciates 10% a year and payments are about 10% a year. So it's free to own real estate. That was kind of a mindset I had. Well, not true. Uh, <laughs> it's not true. You actually have to have um, appreciation every year for that to be true. And appreciation doesn't put cash in your pocket. So you actually have to make money to make those payments. And it's, it sounds naive now, but, but was really the thought process I went through. Because of that, uh, it put me in a financial situation where I was forced into bankruptcy. And that was an experience that was very uncomfortable, something you just, for me, I, I knew I would never want to happen again. So what I learned from that early in my career is one, never be there again. Number two, I control my destiny. I had to, I had to put that in the past. And so I've always been focused on what can I do in my business to move that forward. So um, to answer the question, I moved forward with that thought process of getting my 50 deals. And when I got there, it had to be, gosh, um, the later 90s, the later 90s. So it, it was probably seven to 10 years into my career before I really got there. Right. So. So you, uh, you established your, your knowledge base on the brokerage side, investing side, that's, that's something separate. Thank you for sharing that. Let's stick with the brokerage side for now. Um, and so you uh, had started to sell a lot of homes for other folks, up to 50 a year. And at that point, you felt confident enough. You probably had a couple hundred transactions under your belt to start moving into a higher price range. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I, I, once I hit that 50 number, the confidence just really was solid. Um, I knew that I knew how to go on a listing presentation. I knew how to explain the market value to a seller. I knew how to get a property sold. And so once I built that confidence, I felt I really could walk into almost any neighborhood now 
and do that. And so I needed to build that confidence. It was there. And so that's when I just shut off the lower price marketing completely and moved it into the higher end. For someone listening, if they're brand new, we get people listening all over the board, by the way, from brand new, the veteran to super agent, just all over. If there's somebody listening, they're just getting their license, they're just getting in the business, uh, and they want to go into the luxury end of the market, do you think that they need to spend time in the lower end to learn their skills first, or could they just go right ahead and start selling more expensive homes? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> The answer is they can do either one. Um, that the path I took was because I had to. I didn't. I couldn't walk into a, a luxury listing appointment with confidence. Um, I would imagine getting involved in the high end today and breaking in directly. It's going to be one of a very few group of people. You have to have some sort of background. If it's not in real estate. You were in wealth management, you were uh, on Wall Street, or you have these incredible connections in the high end already, and you've, you've worked with that circle, you've worked with that sphere, and you can speak to that, then I think those type of people could absolutely walk in and, and start to get some business. Um, but the true high end, the, the agents that get the listings, um, I would say 90% of them have already been established there. So it is tough to break into. It's much easier to break into the lower end and go get business. So if you want experience business, you want to have transactional experience, I wouldn't focus on the high end. Just, just go into a price point where you can get deals done. And that would be my recommendation. But I would say there's going to be a rare few that can walk into the high end because of their background, their experience, their confidence level, that they could get some business because of that. And I have a theory, and you might be able to help me with this. Uh, you started from humble beginnings. You worked your way up. Uh, my theory is this, that I'm assuming that you start to have success in the lower end. You got cash, and that you personally start to live in more expensive homes. And that as you started to buy more expensive homes, and you felt more comfortable in that environment, you felt more comfortable selling those homes for other people. Is that true? Is, was that your journey? A hundred percent. 1999, well, yeah, I, I bought an expensive home when I was brand new and it's what forced me into foreclosure. So I, I did get a little bit of confidence saying, hey, I live in one of these suckers, I could sell them. So I had early confidence, but when the bank took it back from me, um, kind of beat you over the head, you adjusted. I moved into a, a cheap condo um, that was affordable and more intelligent investment, honestly. But in 1999, I bought my first piece of land, we'll call it, and built my first home in what was an expensive neighborhood. And so now I had the nicest home in the neighborhood in an expensive part of town. And so, yeah, I was, I was a part of the community. So, yes, it was very easy then because you are a part of it. And you've mentioned the, the network within the community. Now let's talk about uh, having a network of people who uh, have means and therefore are going to be buying and selling these expensive homes. How did you move into that network? What did you do specifically to make that happen? Um, you know, that's been a growing experience. Uh, I learned early in my career that it was 
for me, just hard work. It was grinding it out and making the phone calls and the contacts every day and as many as possible. So I built an early habit of a minimum of three hours of calls every day. I do that in the morning. And so I just called into where I wanted to call into, whether it was my past client database, expired listings for sale by owners, um, my sphere of influence, and focused there. But there was a point in my career where I needed to move the grind and, and the, the focus of getting the deal to building a connection with the client. And I realized that I didn't have that going on. It wasn't my goal, it wasn't my focus. And when I switched that to building, you can call it a relationship, but I wasn't looking for relationships, but I was looking for connections and a, a deeper, I will call it a deeper relationship with the client where you could call up and advise them on a lot of different things, real estate related, and build more referrals off of that. So I started getting involved with charitable groups. Uh, I started, you know, I, I've owned uh, sporting event tickets to most of the major teams in LA and in either inviting them out or offering the tickets to their families. Um, I now sit on a board uh, for a charitable foundation. Um, I go to a lot of charity events. Uh, I get involved in the community events. I support the community schools, uh, attend those type of events. So, you know, now it's an interconnected, um, more inclusive part of what I do uh, with, with the client base. When you're uh, in these groups that are outside of real estate, um, obviously business is happening from that. And my question is, how is the business happening? Are you actively asking for business uh, or is it happening because people just see that you're doing these other good things in the, the group and they want to participate with you? Uh, have you um, introduced yourself as a real estate agent? How do they know you're in real estate and how are you asking for business? So, you know, it, when you're, when you're in a, a, a community, a smaller community, and you're marketing yourself, um, you do become known as being in real estate. So it's, it's hard for me to walk around and not be known. I think more people know who I am than I know who they are. Um, but in those environments, I'm not walking up to someone and saying, hey, you know, you want to buy a house, right? It's more or less they're coming to you for knowledge. What's going on, Ed, in the market? What's my house worth? Um, what do you see as trends in the marketplace? So they're coming to you for knowledge because they already know that you're in the market and you are successful and have a track record and therefore they'll ask you that information. So you don't, you're not looking for it as much as they're, you're engaging in proper conversation and allows them to think this is the right guy to talk to. Ed, you've built up a team. You have a lot, a lot of people running around. We're going to talk about the team in a minute. Uh, but before we do, I have, this, this is my question. Are you still in production? Are you still listing and running around with buyers? I'm the main guy. Um, I go on uh, almost all the listing appointments. Uh, I do hand select the buyers I work with. Uh, my really, really great past clients uh, that I'm still connected with. Uh, and then over a certain volume amount, I'll personally, or dollar amount, I'll personally handle. 
Uh, and then we have buyer's agents that, you know, are working with the newer clients or, or price ranges that I'm typically not working in. But we still, as a, a company, handle all price ranges. Uh, it, it just depends where that is, who's going to personally handle it. And you've been doing this for 30 years now. Are you still prospecting every day? I am every day. I still have a red zone, red zone out of my calendar blocked off. My staff knows not to bother me. Don't talk to me. Uh, and that's where my outbound calls go. You mentioned uh, Mike Ferry and the Mike Ferry organization earlier in the prospecting. Are you still following those principles? I am. It's, it's what I grew up on and what I've learned. Um, you know, and I listen to a lot of different outside resources just in case there's something out there that, that makes sense and I try to pay attention. But when it comes down to controlling my business, which I try to remain in control of, going down to those basic principles of connecting with your client base, your database, uh, your sphere of influence, and, and actually talking to them is what it comes down to to properly control and grow your business. Could you give us an idea, Ed, of what your uh, daily schedule looks like and in your weekly schedule? What are you doing each day? Uh, so I get up usually between 5 a.m. and 5.30 to go to the gym. Um, you know, I'm trying to watch what goes in my body, so I've got a health coach now who tells me when I can eat, what I can eat, and I just follow his little app, and then he tells me where, what workout I should do today. So... Um, I just follow his coaching in the morning. Uh, then I'm in the office by 7 to 7.30. Uh, and I'm usually dealing with uh, email cleanup at that time, setting my goals. I do affirmations. I write my affirmations for the day. Uh, and then reviewing my goals for the, the day, the week, and the month, and the year. And then I'm on the phones uh, by 8.30. So 8.30, I'm checking with my my hot leads, my past clients, uh, calling my database and my sphere of influence. And how long are you making those calls? Those are scheduled for two hours, so 8.30 to 10.30. Then I meet with my staff at 10.30 to 11. And then at 11 o'clock, uh, I break my fast, that's per my health coach, and I eat my first meal. Uh, and then yeah, the, the rest of the, that, that time between um, 11, 15 and, and 2 o'clock, you know, 1 o'clock I'm usually on my first appointment. So I try to set listing appointments at 1 o'clock. Everything else in between is, is dealing with deals in process, hot lead follow-up if, if somebody's available at that time. Uh, so that is the most scheduled part of my day is from 5.30 to about 2 o'clock. After two o'clock, it's like whatever is of the utmost importance. But you know, good or bad, I still have the the old habit of working past six o'clock uh, because I just thought that's when the day ends. And I also realized that everything I put out between six p.m. and eight p.m. is is in the rest of the world's eyes over time, and that's where I really try to beat the competition. Do you work uh, on the weekends? I work Saturdays. Um, one of my favorite days to work. It's unscheduled. Uh, I'm just dealing with the, the, the little things that have popped up or the important clients I need to meet. 
my staff is not around, so I'm not being peppered with people in line at the front door at my office and the phone and the texting. It's really a peaceful time, actually, is my Saturdays. And then I do my best to take Sundays off uh, every week. Sounds like you uh, do all your listing appointments in the afternoon. Do you take listing appointments in the evening? I will do a listing appointment in the evening, but I find that it's not been a challenge to get most of them around 1 to 2 o'clock. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, this is really good. Now, what I'd like to do right now, though, is talk about your team. You, you mentioned we've been talking about your team a little bit. Could we get a quick uh, outline, an overview of what the team looks like? Could you give us some uh, positions, what people are responsible for, how many people in that position? Yeah, I, I think where my business volume is, it's, it's important to understand what the team really has been most of my career. And so, um, you know, I started off with a half an assistant and then I got a full assistant. But for most of my career, I've always had a closing manager and a listing manager. So someone that handled the closings, someone that handled the listings. And then in between, I would have a runner uh, or a personal assistant to handle some bookkeeping and answering the phones. Um, and that made up, and then a buyer's agent, right? So that was really the kind of, most lean, perfect team I could have. Um, as I grew into the luxury end, I realized there was a much higher demand from the clients and we had to really provide more customer service. And that customer service meant more attention to the clients, meant more marketing. So I, I grew to two people on a closing team, one just for buyers, one just for sellers, and two people on the marketing team. Uh, and so, you know, one's just handling the listings and then one's handling all the new technology that is out there today and making sure you're out there and relevant on websites and social media and everywhere else you have to be. Uh, and then now having a full-time personal assistant, a full-time runner, um, that became important. Only this year I started to expand the team a little bit past that because I actually feel like I haven't even touched the surface of what I'm capable of. I'm sure you have run across, like many, uh, some agents that are doing some incredible volume out there of 500 deals a year or 1,000 deals a year, and that really intrigues me and interests me. And they're certainly not at the dollar volume that I do, but if they can do 1,000 deals, why in the heck can't I do 1,000 deals? So for the first time in my career, I didn't expand my team based on being too time constricted with what was needed. Like I always expanded based on, ah, we got to add another person. I've added a little bit earlier to allow for that potential of growth for some big things that I have going on in my head. Well, Ed, this is really interesting. You, you've been in the business for over 30 years. You've had a very successful career. You've earned a lot of money. Uh, you don't need to go do more, but it sounds like you have a big vision of where you want to go. What is that vision? You know, my vision is, is always driven by seeing others that are doing really well. I've, I've always looked for successful people. And so I tell people it's really about one word for me uh, that's just ingrained in my head, and that's potential. What is my true potential? 
and I feel like I'm I'm shortchanging myself and my family and and my grandchildren if I haven't reached my potential. And so it's a dangerous way to live because no matter where you get, someone's got a bigger boat. Um, so it's not achievable in reality, but it's still this, this mindset I'm stuck in. So as I see people that can sell 500 homes in a year or a thousand homes in a year, I just look at my business and say, what can I adjust? Where can I move it to have a chance of doing something like that? Because if they're doing it, I know I can do it. Let me ask you a question. You've set your business up to uh, cater to the luxury, the high luxury, ultra luxury in. Uh, in order to do 500 or 1,000 units, would you be able to stay in that lane, stay in that market, or would you have to, so to speak, down market back to where you began? Oh, there's no question I would have to down market my average price. I could still dominate the luxury end and do what I do extremely well and out market and out sell in that end. But the additional volume would have to come from, from the lower priced inventory that is moving and churning it in any kind of market. If you start to sell a lot of lower end homes, will that damage your brand, this luxury brand that you've created? Do you need to split off that business into a different brand name? Uh, you know, it's a question mark that comes up because, you know, you get those phone calls every day that says, oh, my God, you handle all the expensive listings. Why would you handle mine? So you do have to have, a, you know, an answer for those clients. Um, but I'm convinced that I am the best when it comes to representing these high-end clients, and that's never going to go away. And I have the ability to do higher volume. So with that belief, the answer is, yeah, I can do both. You're reminding me through, through our discussion that I asked you for some information early on, and you gave me a quote from your wife about your work ethic. Do you remember the quote? <laughs> um, I think she said I worked my ass off. <laughs> um, she also wrote something else on there. I had a race, but... Um, you know, I, I said, I said, you know, I live every day that my, my clients become the, the most important thing for me during those moments, right? And it's hard to turn off, right? You commit to your clients, you commit to their goals, and it's hard to go home and say, I don't care about my clients, I got to take that call. So yeah, it leaves challenges at home when you're trying to balance your relationships and, and passions and commitments. But, you know, when you're in this real estate business and you're committed to your clients, it's, it's hard to turn it off. Very good. Well, Ed, people have been listening to us. They've got an idea of your operation, your business there. There's a lot of people moving around right now. Uh, question they're going to have is, are you profitable? Yeah, I, well, I've run profitable because I've been trained by Mike Ferry. He kind of beats it into your head to control your expenses. Don't overmarket. Make sure you're doing high profitable items. So I've, I've maintained that focus. I had the early learning lesson of being bankrupt. So um, I do know, though, I've heard from those that do the high, high volume, transactional volume. There's, there's, there's this odd meter where you're getting more profitable, but then you got to add staff and you get less profitable before you grow. 
Um, I don't want to do that. You know, I still want to operate my growth in profit mode. So I look very closely at what I'm doing, even though I'm adding staff, that's probably the least profitable thing to do sometimes. Uh, and can really hit your bottom line, but I'm putting a little faith into it and a little control into it. Uh, while I do this. You've been working this high end and people are curious whether you're profitable, which you mentioned. Thank you. Uh, what type of net profit margin as a percentage are you able to achieve when you're working the high end? Uh, you know, it's going to be, um, you know, I don't know the exact percentage, but I can tell you it's below 50% of, of your gross volume. So, you know, because you have volume that goes to you know, other agents on your team, you have staffing, you have overhead. Um, but yeah, you're going to operate under a 50% profit level. Um, to take it down to a specific number, I, I can't tell you for sure. Uh, but I do know when you're trained, if you're running a clean real estate business, your goal should be 30% expenses, 70% profit. That is really the ultimate goal. That's a lean, mean machine. And there's agents I know in this business that operate at that level that do the type of volume that I do, and that's impressive. And it can be done, but it, it's done because of work ethic. It's done because of the business you're building is coming from your own efforts, and you're not buying a lot of business. You're not overspending for business. So you can operate at a 70%. I think that should be anybody's goal. Yeah, that that's very healthy. Seventy percent is pretty fantastic. Yeah, uh, it's usually that's those are the numbers I usually hear for a, a single agent, a solo agent, yes. maybe with an assistant. They're exactly. they're really focused. Yeah, exactly. And I I know the big volume teams are probably operating at you know twenty to forty percent profit that are doing the big numbers. Is my guess. Is yeah, I would say you, probably in that twenty percent range. Yeah, uh, and that was another question I have for you. If you start to go down market, I assume it's going to put pressure on your your net margin percent. Uh, yeah, it depends how we're getting that business and and what other people in the in the market are in the team are handling it and how much you're paying them for for those deals. Um, but it is less expensive to move that inventory to market that inventory than it is the high end. You know, you're not writing a check for a $20,000 staging bill or whatever it might be. So there's, there's benefits to working that lower price market. True. Ed, what drives you? Um, you know, I said it earlier and I, I think that's all it really is. It's just, I, it's that insatiable desire to, to determine what my potential is. I just, I can't help it. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know, it's because I had sand kicked at me when I was uh, eight years old and, you know, I was a skinny little boy and got beat up or, or what it is for sure. But I always said I could be as good as the other guy. And I've lived that since I was a kid. And I think I wake up feeling that way every day and I want to prove it to myself. Very good. And if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Um, set a schedule. Get a really clear schedule. Uh, identify exactly what you're going to do every day. And more importantly, be detailed about who you're going to contact. How many people are you going to contact? And don't show up on Monday morning without knowing 
the entire contact list for the entire week. You show up Monday without that list, you're just going to find out it's Friday before you know it. So a very detailed, clear schedule with your absolute list of who you're going to contact, how you're going to contact them. Don't go out there trying to buy the business, you'll go broke. Very good. Well, Ed, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Um, you know, I think depending on what time of the year you're listening at, take a really hard look at your plan, your business plan, um, and make sure you're connected with it, you're clear with what that is. Uh, the, the sooner you can really understand where you want to go, then you can detail out the list of the steps to get there and then fine-tune it down to a daily commitment, a daily plan. So if you can get your annual plan figured out, you can get your monthly plan figured out. If you get your monthly plan figured out, you can get your weekly plan figured out. If you know what you need to accomplish in a week, you know what you need to do in a day. If you know what you need to do in a day, you know what you need to do in an hour. If you know what you need to accomplish in that hour, you know what to do right now. Just probably pick up the phone. Fantastic. Well, Ed, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you coming in to chat with us today. You got it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the call. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Ed. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us on Success Calls. Keep moving forward. Bye. Bye. <laughs> if you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.